Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Let's get back to Revelation chapter 6 where we were a minute ago. Very thankful. Let me just say this. It's... um. It's good to see Jackson up here playing the bass and Alyssa uh, on the piano. And in the second service, we usually have our young people as ushers. Often they're reading scripture. And I'm not necessarily against having like youth-led worship services like once a year type of thing like some churches do. I just think it's so much better when they're there every Sunday doing that kind of stuff, isn't it? Because they're a part of our church today. They are the church of today just as much as any. I'm also thankful for all you other praise team members who are blessed with more years as well. But, um, uh, who's I'm talking about? Uh, just everybody. Just trying to be all inclusive. All right. Um, last week in chapter 5, we were introduced to the Lamb. And uh, that John saw in his vision of heaven. That Lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who is worthy to break the seven seals on the scroll that was in God the Father's right hand. Uh, And that scroll, we learned, contained the judgments, all the events that were going to happen that would initiate God's plan for Christ to return here on earth. Uh, At the beginning of our study in Revelation, we had bought about, uh, I think, 180 of these uh, Revelation prophecy charts, and I I encourage you to bring them along with you. Keep them in your Bible. One side has got a bunch of really quick summary information. On the back side is is somewhat of a timeline, and uh, I just want to let you know where we are. This is from Dr. David Jeremiah, Um, so I I highlighted it, but where we are right now in God's Word is is right here uh, in that section where it says... um, you see rapture, Jesus comes for the church, and then white horse. Um, we, we're going taking half of the seal judgments today. The first four have some uh, horse associated with them. You might have heard before of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what we're going to deal with. Uh, but, but we're right there uh, in our study of the book of Revelation. So everything that we're going to be reading about, uh, it wasn't only future for John as he was seeing these visions. It's also future uh, for you and I. At this point in chapter 6, the church of Jesus Christ has been raptured. Uh, I mean, that's the time. That's still something in the future for us. Um, Everything we're going to study now, all the way up to Revelation chapter 19, it describes God's judgment here on earth. And the church has been taken up to heaven prior. Jesus has come in the clouds to rapture those who have trusted in him as Savior. Christians that are in heaven with the Lord during these sealed judgments, uh, during the trumpet judgments that follow them, uh, during the bold judgments that flow out of the trumpet judgments. And now I want to be forthright with you. Um, There are Christians who believe that we will go through part or, or even all of the tribulation. They believe that Jesus doesn't return to rapture the church until the end of that time period after these judgments. Um, We do not believe that or teach that here. 
And I can give you plenty of reasons. I have already as we've studied the book of Revelation. But I think one of the strongest arguments against that belief and for the belief that Jesus takes those who are his away to heaven before all of this is there's absolutely no mention of the church of Jesus Christ from chapter 6 all the way until chapter 19. And it's there that it describes us coming back with Jesus to earth for him to set up his kingdom at his second coming. And this time of tribulation that's going to be here on earth, it's a time of God's judgment for those who have rejected Jesus as Savior. It's a time of God's wrath. And God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, he's speaking to Christians there, and he says that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when Jesus spoke to the church in Philadelphia, we studied that letter back in chapter 3. He was speaking to all of those, including us, who have trusted him as Savior. And he promises us that he will keep us from, from, not through, he'll keep us from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So we're not going to be here for everything that's described in chapter 6 through 19. That being the case, why do we study it? Well, God has written these things for us to be aware. It helps us understand his plan. Like, why is God doing this? Well, he's, he's judging a world who's rejected Jesus as Savior. He's also using that time to call his people Israel to faith, to receive Jesus as Messiah at his second coming. Uh, knowing what is ahead for those who will still be here after the church is raptured, that ought to give you and I strong, powerful motivation to do what Jesus has called us to do right now. We ought to be sharing the gospel, right? We ought to be making disciples. We want to be used of the Holy Spirit to turn as many people as we can to faith in Jesus before all this happens. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Uh, as we pray, also let me just uh, encourage you to also lift up... Uh, Daphne and Dwayne's father, Merle, he's um, been diagnosed with COVID. He's taking medicine, but he's pretty sick, right? So let's lift him up. All right. Father, thank you for bringing us together here. And as we study your word this morning, um, I pray that when we look at the things that you describe, uh, I pray that we wouldn't see it in a sense of fear. Uh, we won't experience any of this, but you would use it to motivate us to share the gospel. We don't want anybody to experience the things that are recorded in the upcoming chapters of this book. And they don't have to because of Jesus Christ. I pray that as we study these things, we would never forget the message of chapters 4 and 5. That you are a God who has made a way of salvation. That anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior won't have to face your wrath. Because Jesus Christ bore your wrath on the cross for us. God, I pray that we'd also not let fear or anxiety about these things that are ahead uh, ever creep into our hearts because we know that none of it's out of your control, but rather it's directed by you. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of your omnipotence and your sovereignty. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would hear the message Jesus spoke to John at the beginning of this book when he said, you don't need to fear. I'm the one who holds the keys of death and hell. And I'm the Alpha and the Omega as we sang this morning. And we're thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the eternal life that we can have through faith in him. God, we lift up Mr. Merle this morning and just ask for healing, God. And uh, even now, I pray that he sense that there's Christians who love him that are uh, praying for his healing. And that you just give him peace, God. 
as the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of your word to us this morning, Lord, I pray that we'd respond to it as you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 6, um, it introduces us, first of all, uh, to the fraud in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder and the four beasts saying, Come and see. And so Jesus Christ here, he opens the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And one of those cherubim angels, those beasts, those four living creatures that surround God's throne, the same ones that sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Uh, one of them invites John to witness what happens as that seal, that first seal is broken. Would you look at verse 2? Here's what he sees. And I saw, and behold, there's a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. What is God communicating to us here? What's this first seal judgment all about? Um, there are those who identify the rider of this horse as Jesus Christ. They do so because later in Revelation 19, Jesus returns to earth on a white horse. That's what's described there. Uh, the problem with thinking it, viewing it that way, is that if this were Jesus and if this is a picture of him uh, through the church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus conquering, uh, well then all the terrible events that we read about just moments ago uh, that happened in the following seals, they don't make a whole lot of sense. If that were the case, Christ conquering would be rather short-lived. And that doesn't correspond to what we know about Christ's reign when he returns here on earth. How long will it be? Forever. It'll be forever. So this isn't Jesus Christ. The rider on this horse is a fraudulent version of him. It's the Antichrist. Now, uh, he may be alive even now. He, he might be in some position of power prior to the rapture of the church. But once that occurs, once the church is taken up to heaven, the Antichrist will rise to power over the entire world. Notice that it says a crown was given to him. And this is the Stephanos crown. Um, it's not the same crown that Jesus is wearing in Revelation 19. That's the diadem crown, the crown given to the almighty king of kings. No, this crown that's given to him, it's given to the Antichrist. Well, who gave it to him? Ultimately, uh, God does in order for God's plan uh, for everything that's described here in Revelation to occur. But this crown is also given to him by a world that's ready for his rule, by a world that desires him to be their single leader. I've told you since God brought me here to Dublin that I, I don't believe the rapture of the church uh, or all these events that follow are far off. I, I sincerely mean that. While God's word tells us that no man knows the day or the hour of Christ's return for us, um, we don't know when all of this will kick off exactly. But I, the Bible also tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.4, it says, but you brethren, you Christians, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. At least you shouldn't be. Not with everything God's described here in his word, everything he's told us. That's why we're studying this together. And God's told us in the book of Daniel, in First and Second Thessalonians, in First Corinthians, here in Revelation, Jesus himself uh, told us in Matthew 24 what to expect, the signs of his return. He told us these things so that we can uh, ready ourselves, so that we can live as followers of Jesus Christ like he wants us to, ready for him to come and take us with him. Uh, church, never in my life have I seen a world that's so ready for the rider of this right white horse here. Um, 
a world that's ready to welcome <laughs> the rule of the Antichrist, even right now. I want you to think about it. Uh, you and I, we are living in a time when there is an absolute void in leadership across this entire world. I'm not talking about just, uh, I mean, every country's experienced that, even us here in the United States, a bad leader uh, in this nation or, or that one. But, but what we've got going on today is truly a complete absence of even a halfway decent, qualified human being leading just about any country that you can think of. And what a perfect, what a ready environment for somebody to step in and just wow this world. You know, um, a world ready to receive him as the best thing that's ever come along. Notice that this Antichrist, this fraudulent version of Jesus, he has a bow. He doesn't have any arrows. So he's got the threat of power, the threat of a use of force. But initially he comes to power. Uh, initially he goes forth conquering and to conquer with peace. That might, that might be the entire first three and a half years. It might not be that long of the tribulation. But, but after the church is raptured and the Antichrist comes to power, um, it will be a time of worldwide peace at the beginning. We learn in God's word that he rises to power. He achieves this peace through deceit. Second uh, Thessalonians 4.11, it tells us that God will send the people of this world during that time. He'll send them a strong delusion so that they will believe the Antichrist lies. And we also know that this peace is not going to last because of what happens when Jesus breaks the second seal here in verses 3 and 4. What's described there is the fighting. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus, he breaks the second seal of the scroll. And John hears the second living creature say, come and see. And what does John see now? Well, it says there went out another horse that was red, a horse that's fiery red. And the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And again, God makes sure that we know power was given to this rider to do what he does here. It's ultimately God who gives this rider the power to take away peace. Though the Antichrist will be the human agent that's responsible for doing so. Uh, we're just beginning to consider all the terrible and traumatic events that God says are going to happen on this earth during this time. But let us not forget, as I prayed earlier, what chapters 4 and 5 taught us, that we have a God who is amazingly gracious. He's made a way for anybody who turns in faith to Jesus not to have to experience any of this. We have a God uh, who is the almighty, omnipotent, sovereign. None of these things are happening outside of his plan his purpose, or his power. And the second seal judgment is the fighting that will occur. Jesus describes it this way, Matthew 24, 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. This rider on the red horse has a sword, but it actually says he simply takes peace from the earth. And with that withdrawn, I think you'd agree that mankind is wicked enough to do the rest himself. That's what Jesus said it would be like, Matthew 24, 12. Sin will abound during this time. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, you and I, we live in a time right now when sin is already abounding. The love of many people here on this earth already non-existent. It, human life is devalued as never before. Uh, peop people will shoot you for a few dollars in your wallet and think nothing of it. Uh, now I want you to try to imagine what it's going to be like without the church present here on earth during that time. Without the Holy Spirit who indwells Christians present. 
It would not take much for peace to be taken from the earth that people should kill one another. Whether that be through war or even just crime, that is going to happen to an extent that's never been seen before. And when it does, the judgments that are a part of the third and the fourth seals being broken, they're just going to naturally happen. For instance, a famine, verses 5 and 6. Uh, in verse 5, John witnesses Jesus break open the third seal. And the third living creature tells John, come and see. And now John beholds a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances. He's got a set of scales in his hand. What's this third seal judgment? It's a time of worldwide famine. That much is clear in verse 6. It says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. I believe this to be the voice of God. We know he's in the center of them. And that voice says, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and wine. So do you know what happens during a time of worldwide wars? Pretty bad inflation I mean, financially. And that often will cause a scarcity of food. Y'all probably remember, I think it was just a year ago, maybe a little longer than that. You had a dozen eggs going for about six bucks here, didn't we? That was crazy. Um, you and I, we could go to Food Lion this afternoon and just get bread, eggs, and milk. And you got a $20 bill, you're not going to come back with much change, are you? And what's described here, this is way worse. When God revealed this to John, a penny or a denarius, that was a day's wage. You worked all day. That's what you got. You got a denarius. Uh, and when this third seal is broken, that amount of money will only buy a quart of wheat. Barely enough to sustain one person for a day. I mean, that's all you got. You're eating bread. Uh, and according to verse 6, you could still buy three quarts of barley for that same amount of money. Uh, but then, and even now, barley's uh, a grain that's much lower in nutritional value. At that time, it was typically only fed to livestock or ate by really impoverished people. Uh, anybody here really like barley? You like to have a nice big bowl of grape nuts in the morning? That's what we're talking about here. Three times a day, grape nuts. Eat that aquarium gravel. Uh, nobody wants to do that. This is a terrible time. The interesting thing about the end of verse 6 is it says that the more luxurious items, things like oil, things like wine, they're going to be unaffected by this famine. But of course, only the really wealthy are going to be able to afford them. So it doesn't really matter much for most people anyway. And we've got great numbers of people here being killed by war. And there's even more dying now because of famine. And John witnesses Jesus break open the fourth seal in verse 7. And the fourth seal judgment is the fourth. In verse 8, John looks says, Behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell, literally Hades, the, the grave, followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death. And this is with the beasts of the earth. And, and I'm sure even in just seven, eight verses now, you've noticed a, a, a major escalation in how horrible these judgments are. And there's still three more seal judgments coming. And seven trumpet judgments that flow out of them. And seven bowl judgments that flow out of them that's ahead. According to these verses, 25% of the earth's population dies at this time. Either from fighting, by the sword it says, or by famine, from hunger, or by disease. The Greek word that's translated death here in verse 8. You could also translate it as pestilence or plague. And then it says, even if you escape those three manners of death, wild animals is the cause of death for some. You know, as of this morning, uh, 
according to Google, anyway, our world population is 8 billion. 8 billion. And uh, you can't really figure that out. Like, I mean, nobody can comprehend that number. Um, but what's talking about that? If Jesus were to return today and this would kick off, we're talking about 25% of that. People dying. Um, back in the 1300s, um, about mid-1300s, uh, Black Plague was going around Europe. It, it wiped out 50% of Europe's population at that time. 50 million people died in the middle of that century from uh, plague, usually by, by fleas, by, by a you know, bacteria that was a, a virus that, that was transmitted through fleas. You know, it's when we think and we read here that, that some are killed by the beasts of the earth, we think, well, how would that be? You know, I mean, what, grizzly bears and tigers attacking people? Maybe, but it might just be by fleas, too. Um, 50 million people died in the 1300s from the plague just in Europe. Do you understand that um, what's described here, 25% of 8 billion, that, that's 160 times the people that died in the bubonic plague. 160 times 50 million. That's how big, it's, you really can't even wrap your mind around it. 25%, one quarter of the earth population is dead as a result of these first four sealed judgments. And I'm not going to take the time to go into detail for that this morning, but do you think that will have some other drastic effects on life here on earth during that time? Financial, political, social? Let me ask you something. In the history of the world, has anything that God said would happen not come true? No. Of course not. And from the Old Testament onward, uh, prophecy has always been fulfilled literally. We need to remember that when we're studying the book of Revelation because there's people who want to allegorize everything in here and make it symbolic. Unless you find the word like, like this was like that, or you find the word as, I mean, that's obviously, he's, he's using symbolic language. We don't see that here. It's just very straight details. When God gives you a number in the book of Revelation, you can count on that number being the exact number. That's how God's always fulfilled prophecy. Back in Micah, when God said, centuries before Jesus was born, when God said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. God always fulfills prophecy literally, and we can count on that. So what's described here, this is what is ahead for those who are here on the earth after Jesus raptures his church away. And I don't know anyone who would want to experience any part of what we've just read. Um, and as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 8, these are just the beginning. This is just the beginning of sorrows. And the reality is, and nobody has to. Nobody has to go through any of these terrible things. Because God in his great love and grace and mercy, he's made a way for us not to have to, didn't he? Who's that way? Truth and life. It's Jesus Christ, right? Uh, those who have turned from sin and turned in faith to Jesus as their Savior, we won't be here for any of this. We'll be in heaven with the Lord. Will you? Will you? Can you look back on a moment in your life when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? When you confessed your sins to God in prayer and you asked him to forgive your sins and give you new life in Christ? If you haven't, uh, if you can't remember that, do that this morning. Do it right now. Now let me speak to the Christians, you who have done that, those who don't know Jesus as Savior. Um, they have this as their future. Your coworker, if they don't know Christ as their Savior, this is what's ahead for them. Uh, your neighbor that lives right down the road, that, that waitress at your favorite restaurant, this is what's ahead for her. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that the love of Jesus Christ, it compelled him 
to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ as Savior. Are you doing that? Are you compelled? Would you ask God this morning to give you a compelled sense of urgency in witnessing to those who are lost? And Christian, are you living differently? Because that's God's whole point. Anytime we study prophecy, he wants it to impact how we are living right here, right now. Knowing that Christ's return uh, for those who are his and all these events that, the, that are just over the horizon. That this could all get started before even this day is over. Are you living in readiness for Jesus' return? God tells us in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. Are you? Is that your testimony? We're God to evaluate your heart, your life right now this morning. Would he say that you're serious about your relationship with him? That you're serious about your lifestyle as a Christian? That you're serious about the commission he's given every one of us to make disciples and share the good news? If not, you realize you're just one prayer of repentance away from all that changing? That's our God of great grace. Tommy, would you come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word this morning?